Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. This is episode number five, and we hope you're enjoying these conversations with sports broadcasters and learning about the industry and reflecting on uh, some good old stories for you. And it really has been uh, just uh, a blast to uh, catch up with some old colleagues right now that uh, I've been reaching out to and bringing you these conversations about what it's like to work in the sports media industry. And uh, I'm really happy that uh, you're clicking on to this episode. And again, really happy at the fact that uh, everyone is continuing to listen, download, stream, all those things, wherever you find your podcast. It really means a lot to me as uh, a new venture starting out uh, and bringing you some some great conversations so whenever and wherever you are listening to them. Uh, definitely, uh, I thank you, and we just want to keep bringing them to you. So today's episode on Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic, we will chat with Corey Graham. He was the longtime voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings for almost a decade, and uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League had their radio broadcast on Team 1260 Radio and TSN Radio in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, during Corey's time, uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings were a very, very dominant team in the Western Hockey League, capturing a couple of WHL championships, as well the top prize for the champion of Major Junior Hockey in Canada, the Memorial Cup in London, Ontario. And uh, I had the privilege of working hand-in-hand with Corey at our radio station uh, from the summer of 2010 to the spring of 2011, so a very brief period um, in, uh, in time, um, but it, uh, it, it was a lot of fun co-hosting the night show with him. He was the main host, however, of the night show, but uh, during uh, hockey games in terms of if uh, he was on the road with the Oil Kings, or if it was a game day, there was uh, lots to do for me uh, to help uh, build a quality night show on a radio station. And it was a, a lot of fun uh, putting that together for uh, for our station and with Corey. Uh, and really allowed me to get my teeth uh, sunk right into what it meant to hosting a sports talk radio show and doing interviews and going to the rink and, and, and just talking to anyone uh, in terms of athletes management personnel no matter what the sport uh, writers fellow radio broadcasters tv sportscasters it, it really was a lot of fun to put uh, shows together in in in, uh, in the topics that were going on in the world of sports uh, during that time uh, Corey is a true pro um, right now he is uh, a free agent as they say um, no longer doing games for the edmonton oil kings but uh, Corey had quite the extensive career uh, at uh, Team 1260 Radio and TSN Radio in Edmonton and as well doing play-by-play for not only the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League, but the University of Alberta Golden Bears ice hockey team, men's ice hockey team, and men's football team for a few seasons. So lots to talk about with Corey. He is a true pro, and he was a guy that uh, really carried himself uh, in a professional manner no matter where he was. Um, definitely uh, lots to learn from him, and he was a guy that uh, not so much was always concerned about how he looked, but he just 
knew how to act and handle himself in a lot of situations. And, um, and you'll hear that uh, conversation uh, right now. So let's dive into it. Uh, longtime voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League, Corey Graham joins myself, Taylor Medic, on Behind the Mic. Well, I'm pleased to announce my next guest on Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. It is a, a gentleman I had the privilege of working with for many years at Team 1260 and TSN Radio in Edmonton, Corey Graham. And Corey joins us today. He is a longtime, was a longtime play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, as well as a host and producer at Team 1260 and TSN Radio in Edmonton, Alberta. He is a graduate of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology Radio Television Program, and he's from Victoria, British Columbia. Corey, how are you doing today? Hey, Taylor, pretty good. How are you? Fantastic. Even better now that uh, that you are joining me. So let's start. Uh, from uh, from day one or square one, uh, what got you into sports broadcasting? What made you want to go uh, not only to school but uh, get into uh, the field? Yeah, I think um, you know, obviously, growing up, you play a ton of sports and you you want to be involved. And I think there comes a point in your life where you realize that a you're not good enough to do this, so you got to either figure out a real job or, or find some other way to stick around. And that's kind of what I, I thought about when I was going into radio. I was like, you know, I just I, I loved radio growing up. I was one of those kids that listened to, um, you know, I listened to Dan Russell's sports talk in, in, in Vancouver for years, kind of on my radio when I went to bed. Kind of always had that in the back of my mind. It's something I'd like to do. And, you know, I just kind of took the plunge. And, oh, gosh, January of 2003, a few years removed from high school, but um, just decided, you know what, if I'm, I'm going to give it a try, let's do it. And you know, I was living in Victoria at my folks' house still. I, you know, I was, what, 20, just, just about to turn 23. And uh, decided, you know what, if I'm going to go, Nate and Edmonton is a good spot to go. I applied to get in in January, figured there was no chance I'd get in. So I was kind of thinking I'd I'd try again in in the fall or maybe go to BCIT in the fall. But I got in for the January intake, uh, and then boom, uh, you're moving to Edmonton in January. And that was quite a culture shock in a while since school. And then obviously going from from the island to, to Edmonton in the middle of winter was a bit of a change. Yeah, the weather is uh, significantly different uh, from uh, Vancouver Island in uh, in Western Canada to uh, the prairie city of Edmonton, Alberta. Had you ever been to Edmonton before you moved here for school? Yeah, I've been here. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever been here in the winter. Like, I, I came here for the Grey Cup a couple times, but it wasn't too bad. Like, I've never been here for that real harsh cold. Like, I've been here a little bit when it was like minus 10 and sunny. And I was like, yeah, this isn't so bad. What's everybody talking about? And then you... You kind of experience your first uh, real Edmonton winter and get down to, you know, minus 35. And you're like, ah, I get it now. And you know what? I know a lot of people here don't like the uh, the dark and the wet, the damp kind of dreariness of, of the island. But, um, you know, you get used to that. And then it takes a little while to get used to this, obviously, too. But uh, now that I've been here this long, I, you know, I don't say I love winter, but I definitely, uh, I'm definitely more equipped to handle it. How's that? <laughs> so going to Nate, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, how did you hear about it? You, you kind of mentioned that uh, you knew it was a good school, but how did you hear about it being in uh, in Victoria? Oh, huh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember exactly how I found out about it. I mean, I I don't know if I I didn't know anybody that went here. I just kind of started doing some research and, and kind of talking to some people in in the radio business and industry. It was you know uh, kind of got to not be friendly a little bit with some of the local DJs in, in Victoria, just kind of at different events and stuff like that. And, you know, was kind of really starting to consider that as a potential path for me. So I kind of started doing 
doing some research really and heard a lot of people came from Nate and a lot of people in Western Canada um, had, had been through the program. So uh, that's why, and again, the January intake was a big deal too. So it was a good program and then I found out I could get in right away as opposed to waiting to the fall. So I just figured I'd give it a shot. So you get to, to school, you're at Nate, and, and I know, uh, speaking from experience, they always mm-hmm. encouraged uh, students to, to find a job uh, at a local radio station. Um, when did you get your first job, uh, or, or were you able to secure employment while in school? Uh, I did a couple like volunteer things with street teams for different stations, but never, never really had a gig until... Right at the end of my third semester, when you're supposed to be figuring out your practicum, um, the bear was looking for a op slash potential practicum student in production, and that was kind of where I was sort of leaning at the time was to get into uh, the behind-the-scenes sort of thing with production. I thought it could be a pretty um, pretty comfortable way to get into the business for me because I, I really excelled in that in school. I really loved spending time in the, in the booths and stuff like that, so... I uh, ended up getting that uh, opping shifts like late in my my last semester at Nate, and then ended up staying. I wasn't going to stay in Edmonton for the practice. I was going to go small town, and I was going to take the summer off and then go small town in the fall. But ended up just working through a practicum in production at the Bear, and uh, honestly, I didn't leave there until until February this year. So it was a it was a long run. One hundred point three FM, the Bear, Edmonton's uh, most notorious rock station uh, for anyone that uh, that doesn't know they uh, the amazing amazing uh, radio station uh, so did you have sports broadcasting in in mind was it in sight in the vision or was it uh, a case of um, well I just I just need a job I want to get into job I like production and this is a good opportunity um, working uh, working at uh, at the bear um, and then obviously they share the same building as uh, Team 1260 AM Sports Radio. Uh, was that kind of the plans? It's the prototypical. Well, as long as just get in the building and then go from there. Yeah, I think so for me. Like, I think, um, you know, originally I thought I'd do sports later. I thought I'd do kind of behind the scenes, maybe do some DJ music thing and stuff like that, kind of do uh, more FM stuff at first and then maybe go into sports kind of after when I was a little bit older and more established. I kind of figured that, you know, it was a tough, it was tough for young people to break in back then. Um, so I wasn't really uh, necessarily thinking that was going to be my direct route. And then it ended up just as I was there doing the production practicum that, that the guy that was operating uh, Total Sports with Bob Stoffer was leaving. And it, part of the practicum was, that I, I think it's how the budgets worked at the time, Taylor, about who, how, who paid for that position. And anyway, long story short, it opened up. I started kind of getting that as part of my practice was to off. And, um, you know, I kind of fell in there and Bob took a liking to me and it's it sort of, I think it fast forwarded things a little bit for me to get into sports. I had done play by play at Nate and I like, that's what I always wanted to do was to play by play. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it was just sort of kind of how it worked out, which is really good. Like I said, I just get my foot in the door and, you know, hopefully be around the team guys a little bit and maybe find a way in there. Although at, at that time, Team Twelve Sixty was was basically Brent and Jake, and then you know they had Gregor and Stoffer, but those guys, you know, bought their own airtime. They weren't employees of the station, so it was a really small operation. So I kind of didn't want to put all my eggs in that basket right away until I maybe decided to grow a little bit. Uh, but I, I think for me, timing just kind of worked out that uh, the job opened with with the afternoon drive show, and you know, I was comfortable there, and I got to meet a lot of contacts and, and different people and it just sort of works from there 
Do you remember your first shift with Bob? Was he uh, intimidating? Did you know Bob at all uh, going in? Uh, I only knew him from listening to his show. Um, I didn't know him at all. Uh, a couple of my buddies and me, what we were volunteering at the U of A at the time to work with their sports programs and doing uh, stats and announcing and stuff for them. So we'd listen to the show after school on the way to the U of A for the for the games. I mean, and yeah, it was intimidating. I'd heard stories about Bob, and um, you know, he's 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 definitely uh, he takes up a lot of the room or air in the room when he comes in. It's a big personality, and you know what? I think I, I was intimidated, but I I also knew this was a good chance to learn from a from a guy that was. I mean, at that point, I think really starting to really establish himself as a media person in the city. It was early on in his run of the show. And, um, you know, I, I was there not for the beginning of it, but kind of when it really took the big steps in growing the program. So, yeah, it was definitely intimidating. I know I made a ton of mistakes early on and got that look every once in a while. But, uh, you know, it all worked out. And how important is that, uh, you know, to have uh, a host that you work with that uh... – you know, not so much allows the mistakes, but uh, if you keep limiting, limiting them, and eventually they go away, um, how key is that for someone's, I guess, uh, confidence uh, rather than having uh, maybe a host who uh, is a bit of a tyrant? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think, I don't think I really worked with anybody, at least I never made a mistake with anybody that was a bit of a tyrant, I guess, but uh, I think it's huge. And I mean, it's something that I learned along the way too, like, I mean, I remember specific instances, instances, excuse me, where I screwed something up and, you know, I was like, oh boy, I'm getting in trouble for this or I messed this up. And it just, you end up making a joke out of it. And, you know, I, I kind of take that, that, uh, that lesson forward that, you know, it's a mistake in radio, whatever. It's not like the patient dies on the table, you know, the, the show goes on. It's not the big of, it's not that big of a deal. You can fix it. So I think that's huge. And I, I mean, from there working with different people and young producers through my time and I, I always try to, you know, if you're going to make mistakes, whatever, it's going to happen. Like, I don't think anybody made any more mistakes than I did. So to get mad, it seems silly. But um, I think, you know, from the times that I know where we work together and I've worked with other people, you, you learn, you have to make mistakes to learn, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's just part of it. And, um, you know, one thing about TM 1260 at the time, like I said, it was so small. It was in a major market, but still a small station and a niche station where, you know, I think we were allowed to kind of make a few mistakes early on and grow, which was good. It wasn't, didn't have to be a network perfection kind of broadcast. I, I think that, you know, as we went along, we got better and better, but early on there was just, it was such a loose program there. Um, and I, for me, it was, it was a perfect spot to learn. Bob, you know, probably did a, a lot of the booking for guests and, and you did booking as well, uh, getting, uh, getting, personalities on and 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 whatnot but what would would you say is uh uh the keys what makes a good producer in terms of booking guests uh yeah i mean it's creativity number one if, if you think who you can get um you also it, it's such a weird thing that you're battling everybody at your station let alone the other stations for guests and that's always been an ongoing issue i find over the years of you know you kind of everybody has their own rolodexes and they start to merge a little bit and it gets <laughs> It gets competitive sometimes to get guests on, and um, I, I think for me it's it's been a long time. Like I, I, when I was booking guests, the email was kind of something you would use once in a while, but it was mostly cold calls. And I tell you, I hated it. I hated cold calling people out of the blue, trying to explain who I was from the show in Edmonton they probably never heard of, and to get them on. You know, like the most time it ended up working out. 
you know, for, for the better, but there's definitely some times where I can remember some people just slamming down the phone or telling me not to talk to them, asking me how much we pay. And I'm just like, I no, I just want to see if you want to come on a radio show. Like, you know, some dude in Winnipeg, sorry, we don't pay. I, you know, and then getting him getting mad at me about calling him. I'm just like, man, your name's in the guidebook. So you better be used to getting it's calls. There, yeah. So, but it's changed now with texting and stuff. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's a lot easier. It's just, it's a lot easier to ignore people, I think, because you're just getting a text, and it's also a lot easier just to, to reach out to anybody. But um, yeah, I, I, like, I think you got to be, you know, you got to be nice. Number one, you can't be a jerk. You can't be a dick about things, and um, I, it, you know, you got to keep after some people. No one to leave people alone. Like it's kind of a balancing act. Once you kind of get to know the people you're talking to, you sort of get an idea of what they like and what they don't like. So there's that too, but. Um, when you're chasing down like general managers of hockey teams, you're going through PR people. It can get, it can get frustrating because you know guys don't get back to you right away, or some teams just they just don't deal with media that much, and you know other teams just kind of string you along a little bit. But uh, it does definitely feels good once you land that big guess, that's for sure. Yeah, that that was always a good, uh, you know, a nice win to celebrate uh, when you can yeah. get uh, those high profile guests on. Did you ever find, or I always found that, uh, and especially the more that you talked with people and and build relationships there's certain ways to approach certain guests or book certain guests you know one guy responds better to text messages one guy responds better to calls and Mm -hmm. one guy responds better uh, to emails did that come pretty quick to you or um like you mentioned cold calling was kind of the way to go for uh for a bit um rather than uh different uh methods of contact yeah i think I'm trying, like, I, I never really got to book when there was texting at that time, at least when it was the beginning. So it was all cold calling, like I said. Yeah, you get pretty used to who not to call, you know. Like, I, I can remember some of my old guidebooks are, are pretty marked up with pan of crossing guys out or circling guys that you know you can go to or, or writing down timetables of when you want to call people and, and especially when they're on the road or stuff like that, of, of the windows you can get a hold of people. So I think it's just, it's trial and error a little bit. And, I think again. I think maybe emailing and texting makes it easier now because I, I know when you know lately when I book on a, a show, like you just you don't resend your text. You don't really worry about it too much. You know they'll get back to you eventually when it's good for them, and you know if they don't get back to you, you know too long, you can send another follow up, whatever you need to do. But it just it seems so much so much easier that you're not. It always felt like you're putting people on the spot, you know, when you're just cold calling out of mm-hmm. blue. To where now it's you get to let people kind of get back to you when it works for them. Did you ever find that uh, maybe certain people were harder to book, and and not so, not so much who they were, but what maybe a field of media they worked in, uh, whether it's uh, radio, TV, or uh, or print? Yeah, it, it's kind of it was an interesting time because it's sort of like print was always tougher to get to get people on, and I think you know we've seen the last you know fifteen years of what's happened to the print media. I think that was just kind of the precipice of it, it changing, you know, where where radio, I mean, it wasn't becoming big, but it was like sports talk, I think, was growing at the time. And I think, um, you know, print is, is had that slow change. I don't want to say death because it's still going, and there's great people that, that write stories still, but it was changing. And I think, you know, some people that, that didn't want to go along with the change were less respectful than others. And then, you know, others that, that went through and then changed their, their whole focus. Like I look at a guy like Mark Spector, who is – when I started, he was a co-host, and he's writing for the National Post, and you know it was a big time deal. And then you know, look at him now, doing everything for Sportsnet, and really kind of, um, you know, 
early on it was it was all paper and it was all print media and and stuff with him and and you know give him all the credit in the world of how he's adapted and changed and become a huge uh, wheel at Sportsnet now writing writing and on TV and on, on all their platforms so you know the guys that they could adjust I think were were easier the guys that didn't want to adjust sometimes were a bit curmudgeonly. All right, well, let's move along in uh, in your journey. Um, and uh, you're really close with Bob, working with Bob Stoffer on Total Sports. He leaves the station to uh, join the Edmonton Oilers, and that opened up some opportunities for you. Uh, talk about the, the doors that opened once, uh, basically, Bob left. Yeah, well, the biggest door that opened for me was with the Golden Bears. I got to do the Golden Bears football and, and basketball play-by-play, or football and hockey, excuse me, play-by-play um, that Bob was doing. I was helping him out with hosting and, you know, opping games and stuff like that. But to be able to step into the play-by-play shoes was a big deal for me. It's what I'd always wanted to do. And, and going to work with the U of A was awesome. I mean, the great people over there and um, had a great time in the two years that, that, that I did that. And it you know, it's uh, stop ended up hanging around and doing the uh, the lunch show for a while on on, T, on well, the team at the time before uh, Chad picked it up, and you know I was still working with him there, so it was a little bit different, kind of just doing the afternoon drive show and then you know doing some play to play at the Golden Bears, and um, then you know eventually we started doing post game shows for uh, after Oiler games on 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 team and after Eskimo games, and then eventually it uh, opened up into the, the full-fledged night show returning once Gregor moved up to take over for Stoff. Uh, Jason Gregor, I should say, moved up to the afternoon slot from the, the evening slot. That evening slot opened up and ended up uh, getting my way in there and, and starting off with my own show, and, and you know we had a blast. Dive into more about uh, what it was like working at the University of Alberta and doing play-by-play for football and hockey. Uh, obviously, that hockey you had done before, but uh, was that your first experience with football doing play-by-play there? Yeah, first experience doing football play-by-play, and it was again like it was, it was kind of do it all yourself type thing, you know. Like um, there wasn't video, there wasn't the third man spotter in the booth. There was just you and the color guy. Um, you know, we uh, we kind of just was you know hit the ground running. You know, you learn how to make your charts and learn how to do what you can and. Um, you know, it definitely was it was a learning experience for me the whole time, and I, I loved calling football. To be honest with you, it was um, it was so much of. Well, I mean, the, the plays are quick, obviously, but there's so much other stuff you got to fill around the broadcast, and, and the chance for me was the first chance to travel with a team um, and kind of get a sense of what that's like, get a sense to, to get to know the coaches really well, and kind of be welcomed into the organization. It was it was fantastic. I mean, it was a big challenge. The Bears football team themselves weren't very good at the time so it wasn't like we're calling a lot of uh a lot of touchdowns or anything i mean the best player was probably their their kicker and hugh o'neill and he was still finding a way in the cfl which is good to see but um you know there, there were some lean years there for the bears when i was there but it was fun and you know, like when they did win games or they had good things going it was such a such a cool feeling for a team that really needed it so yeah i just look back and i mean i miss calling football it was um I said it was a unique challenge because there's so many players and without having any other eyes besides you and at foot field, you're so low, you're on top of it, but then you go down to McMahon stadium in Calgary and you're way up high and you're trying to, it's so different. Like it's, it's amazing how different the game can be in the different stadiums as well. So it was um, like, it was so much fun and just, just an absolute ton of, of, of learning that went on in those two years for me. Uh, and then touch on uh, 
the hockey team as well uh the, the hockey program at the university of alberta both men's and women's but mostly men's um a, a powerhouse in canadian university hockey um you got to see some uh, some pretty good hockey uh, over the, the the few seasons that you did yeah kind of the opposite of the football team i mean the hockey team if they lost the game it was a big deal yeah i mean they, they were so good and, and i mean the years i did it back-to-back appearances of the nationals they never won they lost in overtime as a the championship game was my last game with them in two years. But, um, again, learned so much, got to be around the team and, and got to be, you know, on some of the road trips and, and get a chance to, to kind of, you know, not to kind of put this, like just kind of be part of the whole organization. Like at that level, players are a little bit older. I mean, they're not pros or anything like that. So, you know, they're coming to hang out in the coaches' rooms and, and chat. And, and it just felt like a real family over there um, with, with their players and their coaches. And, again, just to be welcomed in and, you know, the ability to go to those those tournaments in Thunder Bay and, and to represent the the U of A and call those games and you know we worked on a deal to get those on TSN radio as opposed to to the campus station and and to to really kind of to to get them out there for people and not just online but they you know we were able to air the games from uh, from Thunder Bay there so that was it was a lot of fun it was again like just you just learn so much when you're doing it and you're basically kind of just learning as you go like you're you're for me at least like i had some of bob's old notes and i looked at i talked to him obviously about how he prepares but just to take those things and, and make them my own and change things around and just get comfortable with what you do for prep and, and for what you do like i think i think for everybody it's different you know even talking with different guys in the dub over the years that everybody's got different sets of game sheets and different storyboards they use and um the biggest thing for me starting out was just finding what was comfortable for me which was enough information which was you know, not too much information, just to find that that kind of comfort level. And, and every like everyone has a routine, like you kind of said, doing talking to the guys over the years. Everyone has their own game day routine. Uh, I imagine at the University of Alberta when you started doing those games, um, you is that when you really you kind of mentioned I, I got uh, news and notes uh, from Bob and this and that. But did you were you able to establish a routine that you've followed through your entire career when you're at the u of a or was that still kind of a, a learning experience on uh, on game days uh still kind of a learning experience i mean basically because i was only just doing the games like it was nothing else for me there so i was working at that station during the day doing different things there and then you know coming to whipping over to the claire drake arena to do the games at night so um i didn't really kind of have that 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 focus that i kind of zeroed in on once it became just the oil kings and it was just that was my gig and, and like that focus the amount of work and, and time i put into that was definitely a lot more than i was able to put into the u of a but i think that the groundwork was there you know the the um i still have some of my old my first couple of years my um my player sheets and my rosters and stuff like that they haven't changed a ton but there's definitely been some some adjustments along the way and, and some tightening of things but um yeah i think you just Every, I, I'll be honest with you, Taylor. Every year, like even the last year, I was doing Welking games. I added something new, so I, I still think it's it's always kind of growing. It's always sort of, you know, what you need. Because the one thing I find is, you know, all these teams have PR people and stats people to put stuff out, but I don't think they they necessarily put a ton out as geared towards unless they're their PR person is a radio person. Like unless they're geared towards that, their stuff's not really that helpful. To be quite honest with you, so you end up doing all of it your own and it's just mm-hmm. kind of you know it's just kind of getting used to it really and how hard maybe was it back in those days digging up information because 
uh, I would imagine there's probably not a whole lot of stats packages put out there um, yeah. for uh, Canadian university teams. Yeah, like uh, obviously hockey DB got a workout, and, and when you found elite prospects, that was a big deal because they had that all. That was the a league. game changer, yeah. Yeah, total game changer when I found them. So, I mean, that gives you so much background um, going way back to when kids were playing like Pee Wee hockey at the time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it was definitely tougher, you know. Um, and it, uh, as you excel through the levels, like as you go higher on, you get more and more information, you know. Like, I, I think you talk about hardest league to call is probably your first league because you're doing everything yourself but you know the guys that are doing pro games i mean the amount of i mean you've been down at taylor and you see the amount of paperwork they put out for press kits <laughs> and stuff like that it's incredible so um you know yeah going back but it's good to do it all yourself because you get to, you learn what you need and, and and when you do get provided stuff you can cut it up pretty easily what were some keys early on for you and you mentioned every it, everything changes year to year uh, memorizing names. How did you first start out memorizing names, and then has it, you know, has it changed over the years? Um, for me, I I like to write everything out. Like I know a lot of guys will use computer spreadsheets and, and print out stuff out and then just update it. That's a lot faster. But for me, I like to write it out. Like I do everything by hand. It helps me memorize it better. Um, so and then it's just a lot of time. Like a lot of time in the bots when you're an hour outside the rink, you pull out your sheet and just kind of go through it and close your eye. Like I just, it's just repetition really, you know, and when you play a team the first time, it's a little bit tougher. When you play the team the fourth time, you have a better idea. And you know, when you're in year two or three, you have a, with the same team, you have a sense of what guys look like on the ice. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to, you know, necessarily see a number every time you just kind of get a sense of who's who. So for me, it was all just, it was repetition. Like it just, and again, it's doing it all by hand. And, and I know guys look at me and some of the younger guys made me feel old pretty quick to when some of the younger guys were like, Oh man, what are you doing? Writing that all out. Look what I use a computer. And I'm like, yeah, I, I could, but, and I, it's not like I can't do it. I just, I just, it doesn't work for me. I just, I need to write it out. I need to look at it. I need to have it in my handwriting, write it out two or three times. That way it sticks. Yeah. That certainly was, uh, you know, something I definitely got from you. And I, I wrote out my, my roster's uh, pretty much the exact same way, and uh, and yeah, that always helped. Uh, that helped a lot. I always thought it was good for um, the home team to take a pen, like the, the team you're working for, um, to go shorthanded early on, and then that way the opposing team, the team that you haven't seen before, sends out the guys of the names uh, that you're probably going to call the most in the game. So I always appreciate yeah. an, an early penalty to kill from uh, from my home team. Uh, and, and that way, um, I could get the visiting names down pat, but yeah, it, it is so funny. And it's, it's just weird how the mind works, um, over this, over a season and even over years of just, yeah, you just know the guys that are on that team and, and it's almost like muscle memory, um, for your eyes and brain. And, and you just don't even think of like, oh, wow. Like I, I can't believe I remember that that name or you know the, yeah. that team specifically it's pretty pretty remarkable when you can kind of look back at it and say wow like that just the evolution of uh of memorizing something in a team is is pretty pretty remarkable yeah it's it's kind of amazing how it, it starts to really stick and like and i think that's something that for people that don't do it they was like how do you do that and it's like i just honestly it just it just kind of sticks and like you know when when edmonton would be playing lethbridge it would be all of a sudden the Lethbridge names would just be there. But, you know, I couldn't tell you too much about Calgary at that time because I was so focused on Lethbridge that I'd forget half the roster for Calgary. But then two days later when they play the Hitmen, it'd be like, okay, they're, they're all there. It's just, 
I don't really know how to explain it. It's just kind of, I think it's just part of the gig and if you have it, you have it. I, maybe, I don't know. Like it just, it just becomes something of second nature just to, to memorize it. But it's amazing for me how quickly it goes away when I'm not using it every day. So back to uh, team 1260 uh, and then getting the opportunity um, to host a full-time show. Um, do you remember uh just exactly how that went down and just what your feeling was when you first hit the button for the microphone and that red light comes on and this is Corey Graham's show at night. Yeah, that was, uh, it was fun. It was, we had new station manager came in and, and took over and it was, you know, they wanted to expand a little bit, which was, you know, great for me because yeah, I was kind of in a spot where I was, I was kind of filling in doing the stage, the day to day station stuff like uh, programming and all that behind the scenes stuff that no one wanted to do. I kind of picked up that slack a little bit and then they, they decided they wanted to add the evening show and it just it worked out perfect that I'd been around and I don't know if experience hosting different shows and, and, you know, they were using me anyway. So let's, you know, let's put this guy to work and, you know, we got the night show from nine to midnight and um, it'd been a few, I don't know, maybe, well, probably a couple of years since Gregor did his and it, it, it we've gone just quiet there. We just gone to ESPN and, and then we had the odd post game show after other nights, but, yeah, the idea of, of having our own show and, and um, you know, we, we went hard early. It was the year uh, the year the Oilers tried to trade for Danny Heatley. That was like my first week doing the, the show. And did, that night we were on the air at like 2 in the morning trying to figure out that whole situation. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, got to be, you know, had a reason really for still being at the station because for a while I was kind of like, what do you guys what do you guys want me to do? Like, I mean, here you're paying me. This is great, but I'm not really doing much. So, um, you know, it allowed me to get uh, into a full-time situation. Again, make lots of contacts and uh, cover the Oilers closely, cover the Eskimos closely at the time. And, um, you know, it still allowed me to do the Bears games as well, which is a huge deal for me was to be able to do those Friday night games. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a real good run. Do you remember who was your first interview for first guest when you had the show by yourself? I think it was Steve Tambellini. Uh, he was the Oilers, just become Oilers general manager around that time as well. So it, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was the first guy we booked for the show as kind of like trying to hit the ground running with a, with a big Oiler guest. And then uh, talk about getting the Oil Kings uh, job, the, uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Western Hockey League. Essentially, uh, dream come true uh, in terms of, you know, you – were in Victoria. They had uh, the WHL team there for a bit, um, and then mo- moved to Prince George. Um, but what was it like getting the call and getting the nod, saying that uh, you're going to be the play-by-play voice of uh, of a WHL team in uh, in a pretty big market? Yeah, that was obviously hugely exciting. That kind of off season after the Bears season had wrapped up, I, I decided to start kind of looking out around the WHL and there was a ton of openings that year Taylor I don't know what it was but there was like five or six jobs open um so I applied and you know Swift Current and Kamloops and Vancouver kind of wherever they were open and I was you know I was at the point where I was like you know I'm probably gonna have to leave Edmonton if I want to do take that next step and play by play and then you know the negotiations between uh AJ Jackadek who did the games before me and the station ended up not going well and they parted ways and um, that job opened up and I think for me, like, obviously like, I was super excited to have the chance to do it and, um, you know, kind of went in guns blazing to try to get that job. And 
was a little awkward at the time because AJ was my buddy and I'd worked on the Old Kings broadcast the first year with him, but uh, obviously he wasn't coming back. So kind of figured it was, you know, I talked to him about it and just decided to, to go after it. And, you know, I think it was probably lucky for me that I was at the station already. It kind of gave me the inside or inside step on, on everybody else. Um, and, and yeah, it just kind of fell into place that they decided to, to not go outside the building, stay with me and give me the shot. And I was actually, I mean, I was on vacation when it happened. I was in Green Bay. I was at, I was at Lambeau Field. I got a call that I got the gig. And um, I don't remember too much about it other than like it, I got this gig that I really wanted to get. And, you know, I think that was in, probably in August. So it was like quick, quick go to September to get ready and get moving. So uh, it was kind of a blur, but yeah, I was just, I was super excited to get that first chance at Rexall Blaze to call the oil Kings and, you know, to, to be around a team. And it took a little while for me to kind of feel like part of it. Um, but man, it, uh, once it did, it just, it just, it was the greatest. It was exactly what I wanted to do. So getting that job, talk about kind of your first uh, first day in that role or because or, it wouldn't be first game, uh, you know, first game of the season. That's when you go right in and meet everyone. You got to, you know, go to training camp and take in the team. What was it like walking in as the new uh, the new voice of a hockey team? Uh, it was definitely a little bit weird, you know, like coming in. Um you know, I knew most of the people just from being around them a little bit. Uh, but, it, you know, they had new coaches too came in that year with Derek Laxall and Steve Hamilton. So there's a lot of newness to the organization. They're coming off that 16 win year, which just where things kind of took a big step back. But you could tell, like, number one, you could tell the team had a ton of talent coming. So that was, that was cool to be part of. And, and yeah, just walking to training camp and, you know, sitting down in the, in the rink, freezing your ass off, trying to figure out who's who with these rosters and, you know, really, not having a ton of time to do a ton of prep before it, try to figure out who their, their, their prospects were and the draft picks were, and, and just trying to build, you know, let alone every other team in the league, but just trying to get Edmonton down, you know, first to make sure you do that job. And, you know, it was a lot of time spent in the ranks, a lot of time hanging out with the trainers over the years. And, you know, those guys become your best friends because you spend so much time together and, um, you know, obviously they can, I think they can make or break you. If they like you, they can really help you. And if they don't like you, you could be in trouble. So, um, that was big for me was to, to kind of get on uh, in with those, those guys and, and become part of that sort of unit. And, you know, just to kind of be a fly in the wall at, at different things, you know, being a new guy, not really having the experience before of knowing what coaches expect and, you know, just kind of, honestly, I just try to keep my head down until, mm-hmm don't speak until spoken to type thing. And then, you know, once they, once they kind of get to the point where they accept you and they bring you in, it's you're in, you know, you're part of it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's gotta be the key, uh, as a broad, as a broadcaster coming in and you're working for a team is to kind of tread lightly. Um, you know, if you're, if you're brand new, uh, out of school or you're going to a new team, you can't be, uh, you know, going up to the coach and uh, in certain times and asking him this or that, or even the players for that matter. It seems like you, you, as you just said there, you treaded lightly. Um, you forged a relationship with the training staff, and then just getting to know, I'm sure, um, the coaching staff as well. I mean, maybe talk about the relationship with Derek Laxtall a bit, and you know, he probably was uh, pretty intimidating uh, to talk to right off the get go. But maybe, how did you? Uh, ease into that relationship where um, both of you were more open with each other, um, not just in interviews, but just around the rink. 
Yeah, I think with with Laxey, he's such a um, he's such a people person. You know, like he is very. Um, he was really welcoming, and, and like I, I think early on for me, like I didn't, I just thought like, yeah, he's the radio guy. He just you know, kind of let him do his own thing. But with Derek, it was like he was always questioning me about. Hey, who won last night? What's going on in the American League? What's going on in the ECHL? Like, I had to be up on everything going on in hockey because he's such a, like, Derek is such a hockey nerd, to be honest with you, Taylor. Like, he just nonstop hockey. So, like, you always had to have an idea of what was going on. But it didn't take long with him because he was so, um, he basically kind of brought me along way faster than I thought I would be kind of trusted. Like, once you got inside that trust circle uh, with him, because I mean, he didn't know me from a hole in the ground at all. So, but I, I, you know, I look back at the time we spent, and and we've had lots of obviously interview conversations, lots of conversations just on the bus. But um, you know, a lot of times after games, he would be at the bus. Like that was his thing. He'd go in the bus early, and I was usually try to be the first guy down after everybody's getting changed, so I could kind of get set up and get my stuff organized while the players came in. So we spent a lot of time after games just kind of BSing about the games, the calls, what happened. So. Yeah, it was it was really easy. And then with Steve Hamilton, also like I knew Steve a little bit over the years in his time in the HAHL, and um, I think Steve and I really became pretty good friends over the years, and uh, we still talk quite often. And um, just kind of, you know, it was it was it was a unique relationship with those guys because just it felt so natural. And like there were times, obviously, when you're with a team that things don't go well, and you know, guys aren't happy with each other. You spend so much time together, but it just it never really lasted long with that group. That group just felt, I mean, it's cheesy to say that, oh, these teams, are, you know, these championship teams always are such good groups and a great group of guys. But, I mean, it really was with the Oil Kings. It was so much fun there those years with, with, with Derek Laxdahl and Steve Hamilton. And obviously the success on the ice and, and some of the players they had was great too. But and we had a lot of fun away from the game as well, which was, you know, ultimately it just makes your the environment that much better. Yeah, and, you know, I want to talk about uh, bus etiquette. Uh, or just traveling with the team in general, um, you really have to be able to to read the room uh, in a sense. Because you mentioned, you know, there's probably some games where things don't uh, go too well, where uh, the coaches either don't want to talk or they're not too happy. Um, were you able to have that sense right away of maybe when not to engage and 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 when to? Yeah, I think so. I think that's one thing about the world the hockey world that you can tell pretty quickly when a coach is angry and just to leave him alone um i mean there was one during that first year there was one trip we were coming out of vancouver heading to Kelowna on like they played in vancouver let's say it was a tuesday night and then they didn't play in Kelowna until thursday so we drove on wednesday in the bus and laxie put the game film on from the night before and he'd never done that on the bus but he did that that game because the oil kings were god awful the night before got crap just the crap kicked out of them and he made the whole team watch their video of the game, at least for the, I think it was just the first period before we got fed up. But, uh, you know, you knew there were going to be some quiet times on the bus. You knew when to keep your head down and just sort of, you know, put your headphones in and just pass the time. And then other times when the whole bus is hooting and hollering and having a great time and, and laughing. And there's also some good team building stuff that happens, you know, uh, once in a while on those long trips. So it's just, you, you do kind of, you fall into it pretty quick. You know, like I remember my first trip, not, like I didn't really know what to pack, what to bring. So I, I was just a mess, man. Like I, I didn't know where to park. Like I almost, I missed the bus leaving Rexall place. Cause I was, they, they parked at the, the slots over at Northlands across the, the parking lot there. So I didn't know where to go. And I was walking back to, to Rexall from the slots, all my stuff. And 
I ended up getting picked up at the side of the road along the way. And like, yep, the whole bus clapping for me. I'm like, yeah, this is my first trip. So, you know, anytime, you know, guys screw up on their first bus trip, you know, that line of, oh, I remember my first trip. I'm like, yeah, it was uh, quite memorable how bad my first trip went early on. So what, what would be now, uh, or just, you know, through the years, um, as you, as you got, uh, used to the bus rides, uh, what's, uh, Corey Graham's essential, uh, long bus road trip, uh, uh, what's he packing? What do you bring? Definitely pillow. Yeah, that's, that's key pillow blanket. You gotta be comfortable. You want to have a good pair of sweatpants. So you, you know, you want to be as comfortable as you can on the bus. Cause it's terribly uncomfortable no matter what you do. Um, I used to make fun. Rogan Dean, the trainer used to wear snuggy and I used to give him crap all the time. until I got one. And I realized how great they were for a bus. Um, I mean, I'm a guy that, you know, once things kind of die down, I just put my headphones in and try to sleep as much as possible. So I, I'm not like a big movie guy in the bus per se, or I don't often, um, I try to do some prep, but it's hard with the bus bouncing around. You, you have enough time in hotels, always fine. So I just try to try to get as much shut eye as possible. So for me on the bus, that was all the key is to try to get as comfortable as possible to grab whatever sleep you can. Comf- comfy uh, and uh, and get some shut eye. Excellent, uh, yeah. Bus trips, uh, movies, movies were always fun. I enjoyed movies on uh, yeah. on the bus when you were traveling with a team. Um, in the Western Hockey League, it's uh, there's uh, teams in uh, two countries: in Canada, and the United States. Um, do you remember your first uh, U.S. road trip and and what that was like? I'm trying to think of the first one. Um... Yeah, I, I just for me, the first one was going to those rinks for the first time. Like those are probably, I would assume, probably the last rinks really I got a chance to go to. I'm trying to remember because basically what it would be, Edmonton would go to the states one year, and then we'd go to Western Canada, like BC, the other year. I'm trying to remember my first year. I think actually I think we went to the states my first year. So yeah, I was just kind of getting those rinks, and I'll, I'll tell you, like you can see it with the players. It feels like a bit of a vacation, you know, like it's so different, like it's. The hockey's different. The crowds are different. Everything's so different the first time you go down there. Um, that I, you know, the Oil Kings historically never did well down there in uh, regular season. They always struggled, and I think a lot of it was because so many guys the first time ever kind of out of the country and exposed to all these new things, and, and it's so different. And I mean, we'd go down in November where winter is here, but it's still nice out there. And um, yeah, it just it was fun. Like it was, it was just fun going to to play these teams and. It's a lot of work because you never you see those teams once a year, so you don't do a ton of prep on them until you have to play them. So it's a lot more um, time spent ahead to, ahead of time prepping for all these teams. You have to see in a short amount of time too. So it's um, it's tough the first time through, but um, you know it's just neat going to the different rooms and seeing the American crowds. Like the American crowds are, are so different. It's more like a soccer match than it is a hockey game down there at times, even at that level. So it's just. Um, yeah, it's just I just remember just how much you enjoy kind of the different experience in the same league. And what's it like at the border too, uh, <laughs> when when you have to cross with? Uh, you know, imagine there's 26 to 30 people on the bus, um, and you always got to remember your passport. Um, what, uh-huh. What's it like when a team has to cross the border? Um, the times we've done it on the bus, mostly it's been relatively okay. It was, I think it was the first trip where one of our unnamed assistant coaches brought his old passport that was expired, somehow still got into the States and had his passport mailed down to him so he was able to get back. That was interesting. Um, 
but a lot like you know they they bring a, a customs officer right on the bus they go through everybody you have to be totally organized and usually that's either a coach or a trainer kind of takes the lead on that to organize all the players and keep all their passports together because I mean, we're talking about teenage guys. They lose their passport on the bus, let alone at, you know, on the rink, at the <laughs> rink or something like that. So it's uh, quite a clown show making sure you're all organized when you pull up to the bus. And then, you know, we, a couple of times we've had to get off. A couple of times the Europeans had some issues with their, their paperwork, and that takes a while. Um, there's nothing like, you know, three in the morning going through a tiny little crossing and everybody having to pile off a bus, like, you know, 30 people half asleep, trudging out, wearing pajamas, basically standing around waiting for the bus to get looked at, like, I mean, that happens. I mean, luckily for, for us, we never had to do it a lot, but um, it's always, you always just kind of hope for the best and prepare for the worst, I guess. And, uh, I think luckily we were we were pretty good. Only a couple of times we got kind of held up for a little bit. And what's it like, you know, you mentioned different crowds in the States and, and across the Western League, there's probably some visiting play-by-play booths that uh, uh, A, aren't in the best vantage point and uh, B, are situated right in the crowd. Um, mm-hmm. Just t- talk about what it's like to uh, to be right in the mix um, with uh, when you're calling a game and there's fans uh, in front of you, behind you, and to the left and right of you. It can be fun. It can be a little intimidating. Um, it can be it can be awful when you're getting killed. But I mean, I always I kind of enjoyed it. I'll be honest. Like you kind of have a little bit of a back and forth. It's it's fun, you know. Again, the Oil Kings were so good that going into a lot of those buildings, they'd win. So there wasn't a lot of stuff being hurled at me. But, I mean, I, I do remember a night in Prince George when Edmonton was down. Gosh, I want to say it was like six one or six two, and just getting throttled. And I mean, in Prince George, there's a this crowd right in front of you. Your box is basically behind the behind the last section, and, and people obviously can hear you. They can talk to you a little bit. And uh, I was getting it from some of the fans in front of me every time that. I mean, Everton started to score a couple of goals and, you know, at first you're not super excited. Then as it's getting closer, you you know, your, your goal call gets a little bit more animated. They were giving me a hard time by the end of it. Edmonton won that game, I think in a shootout or overtime. And it was a little bit fun after the game, kind of waving everybody else as they were chirping me all night and then ended up picking up two points. But um, yeah, you know what? Like it, it's fun. A lot of people come up to you in the intermissions. They want to chat and, you know, you, you get to meet some cool fans, I think too. Like I, I there's a couple of fans, I think at times in Portland where, when you play at the uh, the Rose Garden down there, you're right in the middle. Of, you're basically in a uh, in the middle of a section, so you get to talk to people and they come up to you. And you know, there's a couple of guys down there that I've, I've met in the process of games that you know we, we chatted online before a couple of times and gone for beers after games. So you know you get to meet some cool people too. So it's part of it. It's part of junior hockey, which is great. You get to meet some of the people that have been following our teams for years, and you get to hear some some stories about the past and. and you know, there are other times where things don't go well and you can kind of get shouting matches with people. And I I know there's always going to Cranbrook. There was one security guard that gave you a hard time every time. And I know I mentioned AJ Jackie that did the games before me. I know him and that security guard got into it a couple of times. I'm just like, man, I, I can see how that happens when, you know, guys are yelling into your mic and, and stuff like that. But again, if you just kind of step back, it's all for fun. You can't take yourself too seriously. And that was going to be my next uh, question or just point to re- reiterate home is that it was the key for you in terms of not getting rattled. Uh, and maybe I'm sure there's, there's sometimes you were, it's quite all right. But like you said, just to have fun with it and, and kind of take a step back. Is that the key? If, if, if anyone, uh, you know, does encounter a, uh, uh, a fan that is uh, disruptive. 
I think so. I think, you know, yeah. Like, what are you going to do, really? Like, you're not going to sit there and yell at somebody. That doesn't look good. I mean, even if you get upset or rattled a little bit, you still have to, like, I mean, you're still technically the, the guest, right? Like, you're still coming through and going to leave. So, you just, I don't know, you just, I, I just think, yeah, you got to take a step back. And, and you can have some fun with it when it's good nature. When it's not good nature, that's when it's, it's frustrating. You know, when it's just somebody being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. And there are obviously those people. And sometimes, you know, maybe a little bit of alcohol plays a, a part in it too. You know, so, um, but I, again, like, you know, at the end of the day, you're jumping on the bus with your team after. You're not hanging around there. So what's the point? In the Western Hockey League and junior hockey, if, uh, you know, say there's a, a a broadcaster that's uh, done maybe junior A and he's moving up to uh, to the major junior level. The names are going to be a little bit different. You're going to see a, a few uh, names you probably haven't uh, pronounced before in terms of uh, from uh, Europe or, or wherever. Um, what are some keys on, on maybe memorizing, you know, a Russian name, a German name, that sort of thing where it's uh, a little bit hard to uh, pronounce uh, uh, cold? Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of it, whenever we play a team where I didn't know the guys for sure, I, I, the other teams play, I play guys, I got to talk to, but, you know, in theory, they would have sat down with the guys and gone through all their names. So they, they would know. Um, so it's a lot of, of that kind of pregame chatting. It's also, you know, watching some video on, on games like, uh, the WHL live feature, you have access to that. So you can go back and watch previous games to see how the, the, the play that play guys are calling the name. Now that doesn't, always mean that they're going to be right i think you always try to get the home guys because some of the some of the different road guys in different cities uh, i don't think get it so you kind of have like you go into a game where you're like well no that's definitely not the way to pronounce that name like it's wrong and they went with it all game you're like oh you know that's, i think we've all probably done that at times i know i've done it so um you know i i'll be honest i hate getting names wrong i hate it it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the things that drove me nuts but i mean i know i did it at times and i know there was names that gave me a hard time trying to think of one off the top of my head I, I don't have one come up but i know there's some names that, that just you, every time they got the puck you're like oh crap and it, yeah, maybe it's a mental block in your head or whatever it is but again it's for me it was just repetition i, I write things out phonetically i try to you know think of cut it up in a certain way in your head like just once you i always find once you kind of got it down you were good it's just you know that process of getting it down sometimes especially when nobody's exactly sure how it goes or it's a little bit different or you anglicize it a little bit different than somebody else. Like sometimes there are some, some small little quirks to a name that they drive me nuts. Well, let's talk about uh, the team uh, that you called that you got to call um, on the ice uh, for a a few years. They were one of the best teams in, in all of uh, Canada in major junior hockey. Uh, Just talk about uh, what it was like to be a part of, of a championship team calling those games, um, whether it's the WHL championships or uh, the more the, the cherry on top, the Memorial Cup, um, and that uh, that run that those Oil Kings teams had. Yeah, I mean that was unbelievable. My, my timing with the Oil Kings was was fantastic to jump in when I did, and um, you know, like you have no part in the credit or the success of the team, and that like I, I know I seem like some people kind of think they're involved i'm just like no, no no you just call the games you have nothing to do with it but it, only if you it say is... shut out yeah 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 exactly right uh no but like i mean once you get in the playoffs i remember that that first run in the playoffs when edmonton you know the year before they got swept by red deer in the first round and, and didn't look like they belonged there and then they get in the playoffs in 2012 and 
you know, they were playing Kootenai. He was defending champs. They hadn't beaten Kootenai all year, but they were a better team. Like I, uh, they were just, they, they were at the point where they were better and they, they, they dominated that series. And, um, they kind of just, they went on and it just picks up steam and emotion and all the games come that much more important. And then all of a sudden you're in the, the WHL final and you're flying and you're, you're playing a U.S. based team and you're spending a, you know, a week in Portland and like just, and, and the, the hockey was so good, Taylor. Like those games were, I mean, I still have some of them. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of them on video, but I have some audio. And just like, I just go back and listening to how tight and emotional those games were. And, you know, seven game series and just back and forth. And, and those teams did not like each other. And I obviously both stacked with some great junior players. And um, just the, like, you could just, the emotion in those games was so much fun. And then you get to go to Schwinnigan with the Memorial Cup the first time. And, I mean, talk about everything being new. Like, we went to small town Quebec. Like, it was, was a huge eye opener, and you know, I, I think Edmonton wins their first game. It's the home team, and everything kind of fell off the wheels after that. You tell the team was that team was worn out and tired from the long run they've had. And, you know, I think the travel to Quebec and and just those good teams they were playing, they just were no match, and um, that was frustrating. You know, that that first year was frustrating, and then um, you know, not being able to get back in 2013 when they lost to, to Portland in the final is obviously crushing and then finding a way back in 2014 when I think a lot of people thought that team was not, not poised to have that, that season in them. And, you know, they were so good in 2014 and really just dominated everything. And, um, you know, to be associated with that run and, and to think back at the times that we got to spend and, um, just the success that team had and how tight that team was. And, you know, a lot of those players I still talk to regularly and, um, you know, follow up what they're doing now, either, playing hockey or not but um yeah it's just such a such a great thing to experience and, and again like I, I mean i had nothing to do with it besides the fact that that i got to be there so you know i definitely take pride in the fact that i, I was lucky enough to be there and yeah i think i did a pretty good job in those games and you know it, people associate a lot of that time with with my voice which is kind of cool too and how key is it when when you're with a team um and you get to uh, a point of the season where you're calling very meaningful games uh, and keeping your emotions in check. I mean, was there anything that you were doing? I mean, you, you got pretty excited. I remember on those calls for sure. They're definitely emotional, but you, you were able to keep the, the emotions in check um, in, in various uh, situations. Is it just a, a friendly reminder to yourself? Like, Hey, like, you know, you're calling the game, be excited, be passionate, but uh, you know, you don't want to be uh, screaming through the microphone. Yeah, there's part of that. I mean, hey, there's times definitely. I know I got too involved. <laughs> you know, it's hard not to. Um, but yeah, you know, you're just. It's weird because like, I was doing the games for the Bears. Like for them, you're the only broadcast, so both teams are. You're supplying it basically for both schools because not a lot of other schools have their broadcast. So we took that as being very down the middle. You know, very. Um, you know, like a national game on Hockey Night in Canada where you're not supposed to be rooting for either side. I remember when I got to the Oil Kings, it got to the point where one of the coaches early on was like, you got to, um, listen, like this is one of the coaches that didn't travel with the team. And he's like, you got to give me a little bit. When they score, I need to know it's them. And when we score, I need to know it's us because I'm not paying total attention. I have you on, I'm doing other things. But when your goal calls the same for both teams. So I, I took that and, you know, basically became more of a homer as things went along because, you know, you're doing the games for the Oil King fans and most of their families, right? So you're, you're, that's your audience. So you're definitely you're definitely not calling it down the middle anymore. Um, but there is, you can't get too wrapped up in it. I know there's lots of times I did. 
I, I, I would get lots of messages afterwards from families that loved it, but I'm just like, ah, you know, I, I know that that's good. That's what they want, but I, I can't get that emotionally invested in, in this because it's not my role. Um, I, I mean, I remember one time in Portland, there was a too many men call against Edmonton. There was a bit of a phantom call. And then Portland had too many guys on the ice got involved in the play and there was no call. And after the game, I was just seething mad. And I ran into the official, the director of officials and I gave it to him. And afterwards I stopped him like, I'm sorry, I don't need to do this. This was, was, a, was a call on the ice that you had nothing to do with, but I'm just upset. I'm sorry. And he's like, nope, nope. I totally get it. This is, this is the WHL final. I get it. But I'm like, yeah, I don't need to be yelling at you. And I turned around and walked away and I'll never forget that. It's like, and what is wrong with you? You just like your job is to call the game. Like, you could have got fined. I I could have. Well, I never actually worked for a team, so I don't think I could have got fined. But there were lots of times I know the GM got calls from the league a couple times. Some things that Gee and I had said over the years. And about once a year, I'd be called into Randy uh, Hancher Bob Green's office to uh, <laughs> to get the slap on the wrist. And basically, I have to tell you this: keep doing what you're doing. But I have to tell you this: they don't like that. But keep doing what you're doing. So. It's kind of like the old Catch-22. Everybody likes it, but technically you should be a little bit uh, more removed. Did you ever have to, uh, quote-unquote, answer the bell um, with uh, an opposing coach or GM about something that uh, that you said on the air about uh, about the opposition? There was once I said something about a kid that had traded a few times, um, and I didn't say anything bad. I just referred to a, a newspaper article that somebody else had written about some of the problems this certain player had off the ice with with discipline and i i don't even remember what i said it wasn't again it was it was something along the lines of you know he's just arrived here in, in the city and you know a bit of a checkered past getting here as in you know so-and-so's article you know and the gm and the other team heard it and sent me an email about how that really hurt it hurt the the, the team and i was like I, I mean, I, I sent it back and I apologized, but I also was like, you know, I didn't say it. It was in the paper. So, you know, like that, I, I'm not the one spreading the story. Well, I guess I'm spreading the story that's been written. I didn't write the story. It's just the story was out there. It's public knowledge. It's not something that, you know, I dug up on my own. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I apologize. So I probably shouldn't have just mentioned it. I'm sorry. And, and it, it was fine after that. But it's, you know, I, I, I at the point, I didn't think I did a ton wrong because it was in the paper, but I also understood and, and respected the fact that you don't need to be saying stuff like that on the junior hockey broadcast. Mm-hmm. But the key is, you, you know, you were able to own up to it, and, and if you do say something, you should be able to to back it up like you, like you had said, that you had quoted this article, and it's not so much that I said it. Is, is that the key for someone if they ever were in that situation where, because like you said, we all get heated sometimes if we're Mm -hmm. doing a, a a broadcast for a team that we, uh, you know, we follow or that signer checks. Um, but you have to be able to back it up if you're going to say something, uh, maybe that would, uh, perk someone else's ears. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you say something that you don't like that you just said, because it's not, you know, like I was playing from a source. If you just said something you'd have, I I would, you'd have to own it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's part of just being an adult too. Like, I mean, you say something stupid or you say something here at the moment, you can own it and, and apologize or you, I mean, maybe you don't feel like you need to apologize. That's fine. But I, I think everything you say on, on the air anywhere is you, you need to own it. So in that sense, like I did apologize for bringing up the story, but I did also say that, you know, it wasn't my story. So I'm not like, you can blame, you can be upset at me. That's fine. But I'm not the only one. Like there's a reason why this is out there. So I, uh, 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I, I felt at the time it was right, and that was the only time I really had any sort of issues. So, with someone that like in your role, uh, and a lot of uh, play-by-play guys are around uh, junior hockey, or or even just uh, I would say uh, amateur sports um, in general, are definitely close to teams, uh, their their own teams, um, and I'm sure you got a lot of sensitive information passed your way. Um, mm-hmm. how do you handle, obviously, you, you know, in, in the world that we're in, Twitter is big and, uh, and, you know, everyone kind of wants to be an insider per se, um, or in a sense, uh, how do you balance, um, having sensitive information, uh, pertaining to a trade or a signing or anything like that? And then, uh, and then wanting to, um, you know, tweet something out or break a story per se, um, without kind of sounding obvious that uh well you're the play-by-play guy for the oil king so of course uh you know of course you know that joe blow got traded kind of thing uh, how key is it to to really harness in the information be careful what you uh what you say if if you do want to be that guy that's known for breaking trades that, that that's tough because i i was never that guy known for breaking trades like i i always was basically until the release comes out i didn't say anything like i would know three or four days sometimes in advance something was going down or that something was being worked on. Or I mean, I remember there was, I mean, kind of high profile guy sound like he was coming to the oil Kings. And I think they were even sewing his Jersey and that deal fell through at the last moment and got shipped somewhere else. And, you know, like just things like that, you, you know about, but I, for me, it was, it sucked. I'm not going to lie to you. It sucks. Especially when you hear somebody from outside the, the, the area or something got the information. And you're just like, man, I knew that I couldn't say anything. And you kind of, at times you've kind of make it feel like you look like you're out of the loop, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not your gig. You know, you're not, you're not a trade breaker or an insider. You're a play by play guy. So, um, I think he, for me, at least I, I always try to separate it as much. Um, you know, like I, I would be, I would break stuff on, on other things like every once in a while, you know, something from the NHL would come down and hear about, I'd be able to break that a little bit or something like that. But, and I'd always double check to make sure it was good to go out. And, you know, it'd be kind of weird coming from me, but you know, it's still like in the WHL, at least I was always waiting for that official release. And there's, I can't tell you the amount of times Taylor, I had a, I had a blog post or a Twitter post set, ready, saved. All I had to do was hit send as soon as the release went out, whether it was Edmonton's release or the other team's release, as soon as I saw it official, it was like, it wasn't, it was just cut and paste, you know, it was, there you go, there's my tweet, it's already done, all the research is done, everything's set, so I think, you know, if you're following along, you probably tell, I knew what was going on, considering I had all the backstory mm-hmm. as soon as it became official, but yeah, there were definitely times I was frustrated that I couldn't, I, I mean, I remember certain trades where I was like, man, can I, can I say this, can I say this yet, can I say this yet, no, 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 and then somebody else would get it, and I'd be like, oh, can I say it now, like, nope, it's not official, I'm like, okay, that's the deal. Yeah, well, it sounds like you kind of, I mean, you you really towed your line of uh, of ethics in a sense because there'd probably be a lot of people that, yeah, would just, you know, kind of sell out and, and, and go for the, the glory per se about breaking a, a trade and, and or whatnot. But that would in turn sever, you know, maybe a relationship or ties um, with, uh, with that person. Uh, talk about, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Edmonton Oil Kings was that they got to and and they played in two different buildings now in Edmonton, and uh, you know I always remember uh, game days at uh, at the old uh, Rexall Place, Northlands Coliseum, whatever you want to call it. it. All depends what year you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, it was always, you know, game days were always fun, especially when there was a show to do after because we'd get to do uh, the night show after the broadcast at the uh, at at the arena. And, you know, you, you go there, you show up, there's a buzz around, you're talking with agents, you're talking with scouts and, and this and that. It was always a lot of fun. Um, and then you move to uh, the new building in Edmonton, Rogers Place, and it's obviously it's, you know, a thousand times bigger. Uh, the press boxes are amazing and stuff, but it seems with the new rink, um, just from my observation, is that you couldn't be, I guess, uh, you couldn't re- have those conversations like you could at the old Rexall place, or the atmosphere might have been a little bit different because everyone was really blocked off from each other at uh, at certain points in the night versus at Rexall place. It was pretty wide open um, uh, at the arena. Yeah, absolutely. I love those days at Rexall Place, and um, just because you're right, you run into everybody. Everybody's in the same area. Um, you know, like even under downstairs, underneath, you'd run into so many different people, and, and the scouts' room was always fun there. And um, you know, even the catwalk, like you go for a lap on the catwalk and, and just talk to different people. I remember that, like a lot of times when games were heated, that's what I do in the intermission. I just get out of the booth and just do a lap and, and run into different people. You can go talk to coaches that are up in the, in the booth on the other side. And I, you know, I loved it. The, the vantage point was so good, you know, despite the fact that the oil Kings booth, you know, Taylor, you remember is in the corner of the rink there. So you didn't have the, the greatest angle on the ice. You still were over top of the action. You could really see what was going on. And you get to Rogers and Rogers is a beautiful building. Like it just, it just has no soul, you know, it's just, it's just such a big monstrosity of a building. And everything, like you said, is so separated and, They've worked so hard to keep, um, I don't want to say, well, just to keep everybody that's not an OEG employee kind of out of where they shouldn't be. And, you know, obviously you should, but it just, it felt really, really tough to get around. It really felt tough to getting done. You'd have to go through so many different hoops there. Um, and then you get to the booth and like, it was great. Like the elevator was great. Everything like that was fantastic. But then you're so far away from the ice and you're so far away from the fans i mean that's the one thing that i really missed about doing games at rogers it's just you didn't feel like you were at an event anymore you felt like you were in this big cavernous rink and you know if you're there doing a game on a tuesday night and there's two thousand people in the building well good luck hearing anything you know hearing any noise there's nothing to where at rexall even on those nights you were still above the action you could still hear cheers and stuff like that but at rogers you just I don't know. You felt like you're basically calling the game on the screen almost. You're so far away. Um, and I know other visiting guys when they came in the first few times, they would literally call the game off the screen because it was so far away for them um, that the numbers didn't pop. So again, it's, it's beautiful and it's state of the art and all that stuff, but it nothing for me. I love those old buildings. You know, I love going into those older buildings that have been around and, you know, you have that, that feel, that buzz as opposed to these newer buildings that are also similar and, and just really have no soul. Well, I'll, I have a question later when we do the 10, uh, 10 question uh, flash round. So I don't want to give away uh, the question, but um, can you tell me maybe some of your favorite venues uh, that you got to go to uh, in the Western Hockey League? What were some good rinks? You don't have to give me one, just give me a couple. Anyone, I love the smaller rinks where you're on top of the action. Like when you, the old Medicine Hat Arena, like the, the, the um, play-by-play booth was right over the penalty boxes, right at center ice. Like you literally looked out and saw the red line in front of you and you were like on top of the penalty box. So like you could hear the players yelling at each other. You could hear the refs yelling at the players. You could hear everything involved. And then like that building, the um, the fans were all over the officials every night. That was always a lot of fun, the atmosphere there. It's like 
like Prince Albert now with the Art Hauser, you're still right on top of the action. It's probably the last rink that, that really feels like that at WHL, a smaller building. Um, those two jump out. And then the ones out west, like going to Pacific Coliseum the first time, you know, after growing up and seeing the Canucks play there for years, that was pretty cool. You know, it's not the same as it used to be, but it was um, – it was pretty cool to, to be in that building to call a game professionally. Like I just remember that feeling of walking in there. And and then lastly of the buildings is the Portland, the two in Portland are just because of the games meant so much when you were there and so many good memories of those buildings and being around, um, being close to the fans and that whole community. It's just, you walk everywhere. There's, you don't take a bus. Like it's just, I just love going to Portland. I remember your role expanded a bit with the oil kings and they got you doing the uh the videos before the games kind of uh, to tee up uh, the night's action or with a little interview or anything like that on the on the big screen big screen what was it like for you just making that adjustment where you know you're a guy you're used to radio you're not used to having a camera in front of you uh and then now you're doing these uh these little uh videos of for for the pregame with a camera in front of you what was that adjustment like and you remember the first one that you remember seeing yourself on the big screen and what you felt like yeah never a big fan of that (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i'll be honest i didn't love those they asked me to do it at the time i was like yeah yeah i'll do it and thinking that maybe it would lead to something a little bit more and it, it never really did it was just sort of and it got to be a pain to where like i would have to do stuff for the radio station for the game and their PR person like hey you gotta do this big screen interview and i'm like well I, not right now i don't because i got this and this and this and this and it just became like it was it was fun to do and it was it was fun to kind of work with everybody there a little bit but i i never really felt comfortable doing it to be quite honest with you and I also hated, you know, when the team would roll in off the bus and I'd, you know, after a long trip to get to Edmonton, I'd be like, hey, you know, player X, come over here and do something on camera before your warm up. Like, it just, I never really felt great asking players to do that. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think nowadays it's, it's so much more a part of it. At that time, it was kind of newer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was a great experience. And I got, I think it helped me get better to be more comfortable on camera and stuff like that for in the future. Like, you know, doing different things, you know, doing brick tournament games where you're doing little, little pregame things on the internet, you're doing pregame standups and all that. And, you know, later with the Oil Kings in the last couple of years, I got to do like uh, pregame video blogs for them on the website and stuff like that. It wasn't on a big screen per se, but still, it just kind of became much more comfortable in front of a camera. But yeah, it's, you're not a TV person and, and being on camera is not your thing. It's uh, definitely, definitely not the best feeling. And it's funny how some people can be, um, very comfortable on camera but when they turn you know when you're in this studio uh on radio and you have the microphone in front of you and you have the red light turn on um i've seen tv people can get intimidated by that it's funny how uh you know you're really a product of your uh environment uh, and it's you you wouldn't think a tv person would be intimidated by uh, a radio microphone but uh, that can actually happen too Oh yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of it too has to go with like, I mean, radio, especially I mean, sports talk radio is long form, right? Where you're sitting there for 15 minutes between commercial and commercial of where you got to talk. So, you know, you've got to feel that 15 minutes somehow to where, I mean, and take nothing away from on TV, but you know, you're writing and then you're reading it off a prompter. You're not really, everything's for the most part scripted, right? Like you're comfortable, you're doing your thing. And I, I mean, it's not something I don't think I could ever do. So I'm not putting them down at all. It's a skill, but I, I just, I think when you, when you go from that to all of a sudden going on long form radio where you're responsible for all that time, and, you know, nothing's written out ahead of time. It's, it can be intimidating for, for guys to come over. And I've, I've definitely seen that. I know you have too, of, you know, sitting in that room and being like, 
this guy's on TV. What the hell? He should be, this should be fine. He's just on radio, but some people just, and, and it works both ways. Sometimes the adjustment just isn't quite that smooth. You've mentioned this a couple times, uh, the brick tournament. So what it is, is it's a novice hockey tournament at West Edmonton mall. And there's teams from all over North America that come. It's, uh, you know, arguably the most f- famous minor hockey tournament, um, at least, you could say the world, but for sure North America, including, uh, you know, it gets mentioned with the likes of the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. For someone who has just heard about, oh, the brick this, the brick that, uh, how crazy is that tournament, just in general? It's nuts. I mean, it's a 10-year-old tournament, but, man, like, I I can tell you, Taylor, when I was 10 years old, hockey wasn't like that. It's all everything is a system. The coach, like they have professional coaches, a lot of ex NHLers are coaching. Uh, there's sons or, or, or stuff like that. There's lots of uh, high talent. It's, you know, this is elite, elite hockey. Like there's a lot of guys that play in that tournament and go on to the National Hockey League. And um, it's, it's uh, the first time you walk into that tournament, I always found like I didn't really know what to expect. At first, I got asked to play the play. I'm like, oh, okay, 10 year old hockey tournament. I got it's fine. I can do that. But it's just, it's so well run. It's so well organized for the people at the brick. And um, the the competition is so good. The fans are into it. And these, like, these kids are doing things on the ice that, you know, I, I, I had no chance of doing when I was 18, let alone when I was 10. Like, they just, the, the, the amount of skill and talent is, is insane. And then these teams are playing systems. It's like a three on three game with systems. It's nuts. But um, it's a great experience to call a game because it's usually bright and sunny out. You know, the, the glass dome over the ice palace at uh, West Edmonton Mall. So, like, I called a lot of games with my sunglasses on. Like, it's it's cool. Like, it's cool to be around. But it's just, make no bones about it. It's a big deal. Like, it's run professionally. Do you have a, uh, maybe one player that you remember that stuck out to you at that moment and now uh, is making uh, a career out of hockey in the in the NHL? Or maybe what was the most famous name you got to call from, from that tournament, if you can remember? Yeah, I don't remember a ton of them. Like I do remember Nolan Patrick playing, and he had four goals in one game. Um, and that, obviously, the year he got drafted in the NHL, was you know might have been the potential first overall pick and stuff like that. So that was a that was a big one um, to think back on. And I know there was a ton of guys that, that played in the Western League that played at some point in that tournament. And I'll be honest, I go back to some of their their pages. I'm like, oh, he played in the Brick tournament. I'm like, oh, he played. I would have called his games. And I just. Like I said earlier, like I feel like you memorize a roster and it's it's there when you need it. But once I'm done with it, it just unless it's like a team that I saw a ton, it just kind of it goes away. And even some of the the big names, like I know like Austin Matthews was there, and I, I don't know if I called any of his games playing for the LA team. And even see some of the highlights. A lot of the highlights are against the, the Brick team, and I didn't call a lot of Brick games at the time. They had a a guy that had been around a lot longer than I had that called all the Brick team games. So I called a lot of the the American teams and a lot of the um, Winnipeg and the Vancouver teams, but I'm trying to like I, I remember Nolan Patrick sticking out, but I can't place another name at this moment exactly of who it is. I'm sure there's many ton of guys on the list. I'm like, oh yeah, I called his games that, but Nolan Patrick stands out because he had a full goal game that one time. Back to the Oil Kings, um, in the years that uh, you got to call the games and work with the teams, obviously your relationship uh, builds with the coaching staff and management. Um, I remember you telling me one day about uh, getting to go to. Uh, it was either spring camp or training camp and uh, getting to be on the bench for some scrimmages. What was that like when you were told, Hey, Corey, we need someone to run the benches here uh, at, at camp. 
yeah, when I was falling told I was coaching, that was fun. Uh, yeah, it was basically, hey, we need you on the bench. Go stand up there. I'm like, uh, okay, what do I do? Like, basically nothing. Just, you know, tell the guys they did good or just change the lines that need to be changed. So I'm like, you know, like I, you guys realize, like, you know, I have no experience in doing any of this stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was it was cool. And it, you know what? It got competitive, too. Like, you get competitive with the other scouts and the other trainers that are running teams and um, you start, uh, you know, it's training camp. So you obviously there's young guys, but there's definitely a point where you start putting some of your, your more senior guys on the ice and key times in the game. And I remember looking up at the, uh, the press box, the, the little rink and the corner box, all the coaches and managers sitting in and getting that kind of glare of what are you doing? Putting guys with the half shields on as opposed to guys with cages because the half shields are returning veteran players. And, um, I, I remember one game we were doing that, there was a tie and it was like, the, I don't know, the winner goes to the final or something like that. And we're doing a shootout and it's me and Brogan Dean is coaching their team. He's looking head of uh, head equipment guy. And so it's going to a shootout and he puts one of his veterans on to shoot first. And it's not like a, it wasn't a big name veteran, but it was a guy that's been around to where we'd always talked about if it goes to a shootout, you play, you, you, you get your young guys shoot. So uh, he put his veteran out to shoot guy scored it was my team's turn to shoot i think we needed a goal and uh and lazar curtis lazar was on my team i tapped him on the back and i said hey go out there take a lap like you're gonna shoot but then when you skate up towards the puck just beeline to the bench and then i tap one of the young kids and i said you go out there pick up the puck and go shoot so as lazar comes over the boards for the shootout everybody in the fans start to boo because they all know we're not supposed to put these guys out and kurt's shaking as he's waving to the crowd he's doing these laps getting ready to shoot for the whistle to go. The whistle blows. He comes a beeline to the bench, and then this kid jumped out. I, don't, I mean, I don't remember who the kid was, but he scored. And, it, like, the whole place went nuts, and the kid had this huge smile on his face. And, I mean, he's probably a 15-year-old, probably, a, like, a, a walk-on or whatever, so it's probably a big deal for him. But, I just remember, like, we just had so much fun. You know, as competitive as it got, and um, you just got in those situations. But, yeah, throwing Lazar over the boards for a shootout is one I'll, I'll never forget. You got to work with some good uh, color men as well to work alongside you on the home broadcasts. Um, and uh, just talk about what are the keys um, to having a good relationship on air and, and having a good broadcast when you are sharing the airwaves um, as opposed to when you're on the road um, and having to talk a little bit more um, because you don't have uh, another uh, person to lean on. But uh, just when you're working with someone, when you have a color guy, what are some keys uh, for a good broadcast? Uh, for my, I've always been a guy that, that the color guy is the star. You know, like the play-by-play guy just calls the game and, and gets out of the way. The color guy fills in all the gaps. And um, yeah, I think you, you I, I like a team where it's it's seamless. Like it's not like okay, whistle now you talk. Okay, now it's a game. I talk, whistle now you talk. Like I like it when it's kind of guy jumps in here and there a little bit more. Seems more. Um, casual at times too but not over the top to where especially on radio because on radio you know you can't see the game so you, you do more of a of a responsibility to call the action as opposed to talk as much as, as some guys do but I, I think it's just all about the relationship you know at that comfort level and confidence in each other and you know you know i got to work with ken simpson early um and that was good because he'd been doing the games with aj so he stayed on so he had the um history with the organization a couple of years I missed with the Golden Bears that I didn't have so that was fun to lean on and for him an ex-pro hockey player in Europe too he always had great stories about what's happening on the bench right now and what the guys are feeling and what's happening in the room and 
Kent was never afraid to call out a player for, for not living up to his potential during a game and, and get on guys at times too, without, you know, picking on them, but just, you know, explaining what they did wrong and how they can improve it. Cause he's been there before. So, you know, that, that was really good for me. And then, you know, when he left and Guy Flaming took over and Guy didn't obviously have that experience playing pro hockey, but he has like Guy's knowledge of the game of um, prospects is probably unmatched. And, you know, he knows all the background and knew all the background of all the guys. And, you know, it wasn't so much at times about the game itself, as opposed to like some really interesting storylines about the players, which is a bit of a difference than, than, than Kent was. And Guy, I think as we got, more and more comfortable with each other jumped in more and more often too on the on the actual game but you know again for me it was a chance to to learn how to set and maybe set him up a little bit differently than i set kent up with and um you know it, it was different but i think honestly it was just as good you know i think um i think that you can tell the chemistry between two guys and if you have guys that, that don't work well together and you know feels like they're competing to talk it just i think that comes through and then on the road, when you're by yourself, obviously there's a lot more talking to do. Um, did you prepare on game days differently from when you knew you had a color guy, and then uh, when you're on the road uh, and you're, you're you know you're by yourself in Prince Albert one night? Um, does the the prep change a bit, or is it just uh, you got to psych yourself up uh, a little more mentally <laughs> to know that you're going to have to talk a little bit more tonight? I think a little bit of both. I think. I don't know if the prep itself changes, maybe what you actually bring with you changes. Like, I think you still kind of look for the same sort of stories, but like, I know if I'm going to be working with Gee that night, that like, maybe I, I would text him during the day. Hey, did you see this? And normally it's, Oh yeah, I saw that. I, I got that written down. Okay, good. That's in your notes. As long as we both know what's there, um, not to step on each other. And then, then that's kind of his thing. Um, to where when you're by yourself and you see that kind of story, now you're writing it down for yourself and you're putting it somewhere where you can get to it. One thing I always found about, games on the road Taylor is that um, I would do all this extra prep and write all this extra stuff down and I wouldn't use 90% of it and there were times during the game where I was like man what am I going to talk about at this whistle and I had stuff and I just never really referred to it at times it was weird and then there were other times where it's like I, I did I never found a spot to put it in like I never found a spot a break and I would think you know during an hour and a half broadcast of the game like you would or two whatever it's two and a half hours like you'd have time to fit that in but sometimes it just felt like uh the game took up that much room and, and maybe it's just, I never got as comfortable as doing the color part of the thing, you know, of knowing where to jump in with that sort of stuff than not. And probably like, I've never done a game of strictly just color. I don't think I've always been play by play or, or kind of a dual role. So I, I think color is a lot of having the instinct of when to, to drop, which knowledge, especially on radio where you don't have a TV screen to back it up. Yeah. You got to be very descriptive too, uh, on, on whether you're, you're the color man or the uh, the play-by-play. Um, you had to step away uh, for a season and a bit uh, for health reasons. Um, we don't have to get into that, uh, but I just wanted to ask, um, what was that feeling like when you got back to the rink, when you got the, the, the green light to return to work and uh, and call that first game and, and just take us through that, that, I guess, entire day of your first time back at the rink to call a game? Yeah, that was huge. It was, um, you know, yeah, I missed a year and a couple of games, so it uh, it was tough. I wanted to be back at the start of the season. It took a while for my employer to get organized with everything before I was able to actually physically get on the, the books to come back. And, you know, I, I started ramping up. Like, I'll be honest, when I was sick, I, I didn't really pay a ton of attention to what was going on. I didn't really 
follow the team that closely. It was too hard. Um, when uh, I started going to a couple games and they made the playoffs, and that kind of definitely got my juices flowing again. I wanted to be back at the games and, and wanted to be to be back at my job. And that was sort of my my goal was to get back to the rink to prove that I could get back. And I did. It was it was awesome. My first game was it was so much fun. Like I, it, it's all kind of a blur now. You know, like it. Um, it was nice to see a lot of friendly faces again and talk to a lot of people. But I, I really kind of wanted to go with the idea that you know, all that stuff's great, but I'm here to do the game. Like, like I'm not the story that the game's a story. Um, so it's uh, once I got down, to, once the puck dropped, it felt like normal. Um, it felt like I hadn't missed a beat. Um, you know, it was it was the old teams ended up winning the game, and you know they uh, came from behind against Calgary. It was fun. It was Calgary because Steve Hamilton's coaching the Hitmen, so I got a chance to catch up with him before the game too, and. Um, it just it felt full circle for a lot of things. Uh, you know, the guys on the ice all did that the point up to the press box afterwards. I mean, when they won, it was just it was cool. It was such a great feeling to be back, and you know, just uh, it's one of those things, one of those games that you think about when you think about the, your run with the team of you know the great successes. But that game definitely is a special spot for me. Excellent. That's an excellent uh, story. I actually I didn't really I hadn't known uh, that. Uh that the the team did that and yeah very fitting against uh the calgary hitman steve hamilton uh, uh one of the nicest guys in hockey uh you'll ever meet uh all right Corey, it's time for my speed round that i like to do with uh with guests it's gonna be 10 questions i just need uh, an answer or a quick anecdote uh, on the question and you might have touched on uh, some of these uh, already okay. in the conversation but uh, are you ready to go yep okay favorite sport to call or cover I, hockey, probably. I, I, maybe because I've done it so much, but uh, yeah, hockey's my favorite. What was your favorite team? Uh, it could be the ones you worked for or just that uh, came to town. Favorite team to call or cover? Uh, I, I'll tell you this. I always was excited when the Regina Pats came to town because as a kid, I grew up a Pats fan. Because when I was when the Cougars moved to Victoria or moved to Prince George, that was that was it for my WHL. So I was a Pats fan. Uh, so it was always kind of fun seeing them come to town. Favorite player to uh, to call? Probably, well, there's always some good ones. Probably Curtis Lazar. See, I called his whole junior career and just scored some big moments. You know, that Memorial Cup goal, a double or a triple overtime goal. Like just, it seemed like there was always good moments. He'd run guys over, and his name was fun to say. So I'm going to go Curtis Lazar. What was the best team to be around? Um, and we can go specifically into seasons. I, I imagine it would be the Memorial Cup uh, year that the Oil Kings won, but maybe it was another year. No, it was that year. That was the best year. I mean, just that that team. Like I said, it's it's cliche how close it was, but it was such a tight group, and that was just that whole run was so much fun. What was your favorite uh, venue or city to go to? Uh I'll tell you, in our league, my favorite city would be Victoria because it was home. Um, it was always fun to go there for for a, for a work thing. Uh, but, I mean, going to, to London, Ontario for a week for Memorial Cup, and it was unbelievable. A great town, good party town, good college town. And then going to Trois-Rivières, which winning in Trois-Rivières was the closest town to where we were staying, and that town was a lot of fun. Best advice you ever received? Oh, Gosh, that's a good one. Um, I think just, again, it sounds so cliche, but just be you, you know, like don't, 
I think you, you take good things from people you like, you, you learn bad things from people you don't like, but just be yourself. Just, and I think for me, it, it took me a long time for, for me to be able to kind of drop the guard on the air. Like I always kind of had a bit of a guard up and not wanting to look stupid or silly or um, like a nerd. I just, it took me a while to kind of just relax and be myself. One sport you've wanted to cover or do play-by-play for but never have? Probably baseball. Um, I think baseball would be a huge challenge because of how much time there is between pitches and plays. Like I think to be a storyteller, to be good enough to tell stories that long, it would be a lot of fun. I think that would be a fun challenge. And we probably know the answer to this one, but of all the jobs that you've had, what's been your favorite? Yeah, I mean, with the Oil Kings, that was my... Uh, that was my dream. That was my goal when I wanted to get in was to become part of a member of that team. So, uh, yeah, I look back at those years so fondly now. Favorite broadcaster, active and all time. Oh, um, all time. I'd probably say Jim Robson, who called the Canuck games when I was growing up. Um, like Rod Phillips here, he was an old school guy. They called the games forever. You know, called all the big moments in Canuck history. So I think. You know, having a chance to, to uh, with him, I never met the man, but just to learn from him. And he wrote a couple books about play-by-play I read. So I, I think all time would be him. And my current favorite broadcaster. doesn't have to be hockey either. It could be any yeah. sport. Yeah. Like, uh, man, there's so many good ones. I'm trying to think of people that I don't know. Because I like it's fair to probably see somebody I know. They're my favorite because they're my friend, but. A lot of guys, you know what? I love watching, uh, I love hearing Tony Romo call games. I love watching Tony Romo and Jim Nance, that combination so good. And I think Tony Romo, the way he utilizes his skills as a player into the booth and, and really, I find you learn something when you watch them. Like he's not just describing what's happened. He's telling you why it's happened. So I really enjoy that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, Tony Romo is uh, the best analyst uh, in sports uh, right now. Uh, lastly, who should be, on this show, who should go behind the mic with Taylor Medic? Man, there's so many people. Uh, I mean, just locally, I'm like the guy that uh, I worked with a lot, and I'm doing the podcast with now is Mark Majot. He's a ton of fun. He's got some great stories. Um, doesn't he wasn't in the business super super long, but I think has seen a lot of the different sides of it, and would be a good guest. Um, I, I know you've talked to some people. That I think I put on this list right away. AJ Jackie, that could be great. He's got some great stories of calling tons of different leagues. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think of guys that, uh, I, like, I'm like you with starting the podcast, you start kind of small and local and grow it. But those are guys I think that would, would help you move it forward, too. Yeah, Tony Romo would be pretty good, too, one day. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we get up to that stage and get Tony on, let me know. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Corey, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to have this conversation with uh, with me today. It was great to catch up and, and, and dive into uh, your career as uh, as a sports broadcaster. Uh, you, you mentioned you're doing a, a podcast right now with Mark Bajot. Um, tell us where people can uh, find your current uh, current stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally not sports related. It's just all about nerd culture. So, like I said, it took me a long time to get uh, there. Used to be times where I never even mentioned that near a microphone. Now I'm like fully immersed in doing a podcast about it. But uh, yeah, it's MCTV podcast. Um, it's you know Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Uh, check it out if you're into like Marvel and, and DC comics and stuff like that. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, you, you know it's funny. Before I let you go, one more question, and yeah. and maybe it's an observation. I've noticed that it's you know what it's now acceptable to 
have pop culture elements in in sports radio like it, it, wrestling seems now it's a it's appropriate like everyone can be yeah. a, a wrestling it's okay to be a wrestling fan now and now it's okay to like you just mentioned years ago you might have not discussed uh, uh those things uh on the air or uh, on a recording but now uh you know some of the best shows uh even if it's a sports show we'll still talk about uh, uh pop culture stuff i agree and like i think you know, going back to hosting shows the time you get the most um like it used to be calls. Like we used to have so much fun with calls back in the days. You remember Taylor, but now it's all text, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, the the shows you get the most interaction with now via text lines. The ones that aren't sports, they're you're talking about beers, you're talking about movies, you're talking about pop culture. Like it, those are the ones where everybody seems to chime in. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when we were working together back at nights. There's a lot of times where I probably was like, nope, I'm not talking about that. Don't ask me about that. I can't, I can't let that through. To where now I'm just like. Screw it! I don't care. We could have filled so, an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could have probably had some better shows, eh? Yeah. There's so many, yeah. There's so many drafts you can do uh, now. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, well, Corey, again, thanks a lot for taking the time and uh, coming on behind the mic. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, I was thinking back to a lot of fun times we had at night and after the show, rolling to the bar at midnight, seeing what's going on. We had we had some times back in the day. It was good. Definitely, yeah. And once uh, once people are allowed to go out uh, now after a pandemic, uh, we'll definitely have to catch up. Yeah, looking forward to it, buddy. Well, what a fantastic conversation that was once again, this time with Corey Graham, longtime voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Western Hockey League, and a voice familiar on the sports radio waves in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, for well over a decade and almost uh, around 15 years as uh, as Corey uh, worked uh, at uh, Edmonton's only sports radio station, and uh, <laughs> you know, just in those uh, in those questions I asked and the conversations that we had, it, re- it really brought back uh, a lot of memories and and how uh, how much fun this industry can be uh, when you set aside. Uh, you know the work portion of it. Uh, you know there's an an old saying. Uh, it's called work, not fun. But certainly, uh, the opportunity to work with Corey uh, and in that setting and working uh, at the station at that time, uh, being a co-host of uh, a major daily show other than weekends, was a lot of fun because you were talking uh, all the big topics in sports and really had a, an opportunity to voice your opinion. Um, but as well, bring in uh, the opinions of others and and have some great conversations. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I always remember game days, uh, how fun they were, especially when the Edmonton Oil Kings were playing at, uh, the old Coliseum Rexall place in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, on Friday night, you'd go to the station in the afternoon, tape a couple interviews for Corey as he would always, uh, he'd either host the show after, or if they have to get on the bus and go on the road, uh, it'd be an opportunity for me to host, uh, the show. And a couple times we got to do it from the rink. Uh, which was always a lot of fun to uh, to do that uh, when you get to do a live broadcast from uh, the famous Northlands Coliseum, Rexall Place, Guy Reach Center, however you want to say it, the house that Wayne built. Uh, it was truly a blast to do that. So, uh, you know, continuing to paint a picture of what it was like on those game days. Uh, again, I go to the station, tape a couple interviews for Corey because he's busy getting ready for his game. And then uh, you you drive back to uh, to the or drive to the arena, pardon me, uh, and you you, you catch uh, the first couple periods, and that was always fun too because a lot of scouts uh, in town. If uh, 
you know, there's an NHL team playing the Oilers. Often you would see uh, the management staff of uh, that particular team. So that was always an opportunity to, uh, you know, say hi, or if you run into uh, a certain someone, get an opportunity to pick their brain about things. And, and sometimes not just, you know, not talk hockey. You just talk other other things. And that was a lot of fun, especially with the scouts, um, who uh, a few got to know uh, very well um, because of working with, uh, a couple former guests here on uh, behind the mic, uh, Dean Millard and Guy Flaming on the Pipeline Show. Uh, we definitely uh, talked a lot with scouts, and they talked a lot of th- stuff with uh, with us as well. So that was that was a lot of fun. So you you catch the first couple periods of a game, and then uh, you know third period, you drive all the way back to the radio station, which is on the west end of Edmonton, where uh, Rexall Place, Northlands Coliseum, yada 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 is on the east side of town so a bit of a 15 minute drive back to the uh, station to set up uh for your show that evening and it was always a quick show because the game would end uh you know 9 30 10 o'clock so instead of a three-hour show it's a two-hour show and then sometimes when Corey was on uh, the west coast um it was a 90 minute show or even an hour show so that was always fun on on friday nights because you know uh you know the bulk of your work is done and you have a little fun and then you can uh can hit the weekend so that was uh that was great and uh you know uh a couple of his suggestions for uh for guests we'll have to uh, endeavor to uh get uh, one of his picks uh for uh a future guest on behind the mic uh, so that will be it for this episode of behind the mic with taylor medic another great fantastic conversation about the world of sports broadcasting we hope you're enjoying these keep streaming keep downloading wherever you find your podcast you can hit me up on twitter at taylor medic t-a-y-l-o-r-m-e-d-a-k you can get the spelling too uh in the uh title of the show as well if uh if you missed that there but uh, any feedback uh, good or bad please let me know it's been a blast bringing you these conversations until next time we'll have to wait another week till someone else goes behind the mic